We have all kinds of outreaches that you just heard about. But, but the thing is, we, we, have, we have a prayer night. We have dorm move-in outreach where we're helping students move in. We have the college in the parking lot. We got all these things planned because, because we just know, like, this is a prime time to reach college students. To go, like, hey, as they're coming in, they're coming in new. We're like, hey, there's a church right next door to you. And, and so we, we're, that's the whole kind of like a place that this series is geared towards. It's mobilized, but it's mobilized for, for action. What's the action? The campus all around us. That, we're a college group. That's what we reach college students. Amen. And so tonight we're going to talk about people of faith. And uh, as, you, as, you, as you saw on the screen there, we're talking about people of faith. Someone just say faith. faith. Now say it like you're related to T.D. Jakes. Faith. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. You know, I, love, I like T.D. Jakes, by the way. He's one of my favorites. Um, but here's the deal. We're talking about faith. The Bible says a lot about faith. I mean, I, we don't have a whole like time to go through every single thing that the Bible says about faith. But it says stuff like, without it, it's actually impossible to please God. It, it says that we're actually to live by faith. We, we, you know, we walk by faith, not by sight. It says that, that we're saved by faith. It says that faith comes when we hear the, the word of God. And, and it's, faith is something that actually, it got Jesus' attention when people had it. It, it like surprised Jesus when he, I don't know, maybe surprise isn't the best word, but amazed him is what the scriptures use. It amazed him when people had it, and it actually frustrated him when people didn't have it. And so Jesus actually could notice faith. Faith is something that lives in our hearts. It, scripture says that it's with our heart that we believe. And, and it says that with it, people did great things for God. Faith is a means for receiving from God. And, 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 and faith is what made Peter Pan fly. You know what I'm saying? Faith is a very important thing. You know what I'm saying? Some of you guys know, like you've seen uh, uh, that one movie with Tim Allen, Santa Claus. You know what I'm saying? Faith is what made the sleigh get in the air. You know what I'm talking about? I know that's not in the Bible, but anyway, the thing is, is that faith is a huge deal and God says a lot about it, but I want to say it real simple. Faith is simply believing. That's what faith is. In, in, in Greek, the, the Greek word is, is pistis, which that sounds kind of interesting. But literally, the word, when you look at the word, every time you see faith or, or believe in it, it's, it's, it's pistis, and it just means belief or conviction and something that you believe in, and it can be whatever. But faith is simply believing, and, in, 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 and when you look it up even in the dictionary, it's confidence or trust in a person or a thing. That's what faith is. It's just putting your confidence. Like, like you have faith in those chairs that you're sitting in that they're going to hold you up when you sit on them. You know what I'm saying? It's like the ultimate trust fall that never fails. It's a chair will always be there for you. You know what I mean? <laughs> we can, we're not sure about the people sitting next to you, but the chair. You know what I'm saying? Like, but faith, faith is confidence or trust in a person or a thing. Faith is simply believing. And in our context, it's believing in God. And even specifically, it's believing in the person of Jesus. Because that actually draws a line between different things. You know, there, there's, a, there's a guy who was here and, and he has a faith and, and he believes in God and he's Hindu and all this type of stuff. And, and, and we were ministering to him and, and he believes in God. And I said, well, that was cool. God said these things to you. And he's like, yeah, God is amazing. I said, yeah, what do you think about Jesus? I'm not so sure. <laughs> and I'm like, but it was actually Jesus, you know, like, and so even in our context, we say God, God is a pretty broad statement to say, but when we say Jesus, it kind of draws a line and, and really defines who we're putting our faith in. And so when you look at scriptures, before we get to Numbers 13, Hebrews 11.1, 1, scripture actually gives us, maybe, maybe it's not necessarily a definition, but a description of what faith is. It could be a definition, but it says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. 
Faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see. And then it jumps down just to look at verse 6. And without faith, is it impossible to please God? Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So, so faith, without faith, you can't even please God because why? You, you have to actually come to him and believe that he exists. And not only that he exists, but that he actually rewards those who go after him with all their hearts. And then just another verse here I wanted to show you about faith. Romans 12, 3, it's, uh, Paul is speaking and he says, For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. And then he says this phrase, As God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. So that means each one of us has a measure of faith, and that faith is from God. Like, like every, every person in this room has some kind of measure of faith, and it's, and it's from God. And so, so we get faith but it's not even really us, it's God. Like, 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 this is the craziest part that I think about God in, in, in regards to even salvation. Like, the faith that I used to believe in him, he gave it to me. Isn't that wild? Like, how much are we hooked into God on a, on a lifeline? You know what I'm saying? Like, like, we are so hooked into God, like we cannot do anything apart from Jesus, you know. But I think it's so wild about it is that faith, you know, it's, it's like, Jesus said this phrase in John 6, he says, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. So now look at the zoom out and see this picture. Like I can't even come to God unless he draws me to him. And if once I get to him, I can't even believe in him unless God puts faith in my heart to believe in him. And I can't get saved unless his grace saves me, which comes back to his faith that he gave me, which means that he drew me and it was all God the whole time. Is that wild or is that not wild? Like faith is huge, but it comes from God. In other words, we are utterly dependent on God. Even if we don't even believe in God, we're utterly dependent on him. And so faith, though, comes from God. And, and, and man, we are a people of faith. That's why we're called believers. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like so simple. Look at your neighbor and say, it's just simple, man. It is simple. It is simple. And so we are people of faith. And, and the thing is, is that all those things encompass what faith does, what faith is. It, but if I would boil it down to one simple thing, faith is just believing. And in our context, believing in the person of Jesus and throwing our lives upon this person. And, and one, uh, one great man of God named uh, Jack Hayford said that faith is, is simply trusting in someone else other than yourself. It is the attitude that is the complete opposite of trusting in yourself. It is, is taking all of your trust and putting it into somebody else. For example, you're jumping out of a, uh, a plane and you have a parachute. You're not trusting in yourself. You're trusting in the parachute behind you. You know what I'm saying? And you're putting all your faith that this thing, when I pull this thing, it's going to do its deal, do the parachute thing, and uh, you don't die. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's what faith is. Faith is completely putting your trust in someone else or, or something else. But in our context, the person of Jesus. So are you there at Numbers 13? We're gonna read a lot. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna read a chapter. Chapter a day keeps the devil away. All right. I don't even know if that's biblical, but it sounds good. You know what I'm saying? Numbers thirteen. Um, the the context of this story is that Moses is told by the Lord that they're going to send some spies out to explore the promised land that God was giving them. And so God had already promised them this land. And so he just said, hey, go scout this thing out and let's, let's see what we got going on. So verse one says, the Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites from each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. 
Verse 3, so at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. These are their names. From the tribe of Reuben, Shamua, son of Zakur. From the tribe of Simeon, Shaphat, son of Hori. From, <laughs> from the tribe of Judah, Caleb, son of Jephunneh. Verse 7, from the tribe of Issachar, Egal, son of Joseph. From the tribe of Ephraim, Hosea, son of Nun. Verse 9, from the tribe of Benjamin, Palti, son of Raphu. Hey, verse 10, from the tribe of Zebulun, Gadiel, son of Sodi. Verse 11, from the tribe of Manasseh, a tribe of Joseph, Gadi, son of Susi. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing this right. Verse 12, from the tribe of Dan, Amiel, son of Gamali. From the tribe of Asher, Sethur, son of Michael. From the tribe of Naphtali, Nabi, son of Vopsphi. Come on. From the tribe of Gad, Geuel, son of Maki. These are the names of the men Moses sent out to explore the land. <laughs> Moses gave Hosea, son of Nun, the name Joshua. And verse 17, when, Mo when Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, Go up through the Negev and on to the, into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees on it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. So they went up and explored the land from the desert of Zin as far as Rehob toward Lebo Hamath. Verse 22, they went up through the Negev and came to Hebron where Ahiman, Sheshai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, lived. Hebron had been built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. When they reached the valley of Eskol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them along with some pomegranates and figs. Just, just a thought, if you have to carry one cluster of grapes on a pole, how many understand that's some pretty big grapes, you know what I'm saying? And I also feel, you know, particularly to this passage because they had grapes, pomegranates, and figs, and I have all three in my yard. You know what I'm talking about? I must be in the promised land. Anyway, verse 24. Are you still there? Are you still with me on this? Okay. The place was called the Valley of Eskol because the cluster of grapes that, uh, that the Israelites cut off there. Um, Eskol means cluster, that's why. Verse 25, at the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. Here we go. Verse 27, they gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. And, and that literally just means giants, that, that because the, the uh, giants were descendants of Anak, or Anak was descendants of giants. The Amalekites live there, live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Verse 30, then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. Everyone say, boom. Verse 31, but the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. Everyone say, boo. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. 
All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. Everyone say, wow. Filipino style, wow. You wouldn't know that unless you hung out. But anyway, I'm sorry. <laughs> In Philippines, it's different. <laughs> they say, <laughs> wow. Anyway, number 14. We're keep going. You got a chapter right there. Come on. Are you, you want some more? Here we go. Nine more verses. That night, all the community of the people raised their voices and wept aloud. Talk about a bad day in the day of Israel. Well, all the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this desert. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Isn't that wild, man? That's wild. It was like, we can certainly do it to our wives and our children to be taken as plunder. We're all going to die. What the heck happened? Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. To which I say, yeah, I feel you. I feel you, Mo. You know, verse 6, <laughs> Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who explored the land, look at, they tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. Verse eight, if the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will swallow them up. Come on. Look at what he says. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Come on with that. And the story continues. If you keep reading the story through Numbers 14, the whole assembly, after they said that, actually wanted to kill them after this. They, they, they were actually thinking of stoning them, like taking stones and throwing them at them until they died. And long story short, God and Moses have a conversation after this, and the consensus is that, th that basically all the people will have to wait that, that did not believe. They said, all, those, all you guys, you're all going to have to wait until you die in this desert, except for Caleb and Joshua, and then only Caleb and Joshua will be allowed to go into the promised land because they all rebelled against the Lord. Eeh. And, and so what I think is wild about this is, and eventually, and we'll see this in, in, in a while, in a while's time, we'll, we'll see that, um, that they do finally get there and some amazing things happen there too. But there was two people who believed in God and actually even in themselves as well. And they, they believed in God and in themselves enough to actually go up and take the promised land. There, there was probably about 2 million people in this group and out of and then they sent the leaders of the tribes, and 10 of them came back saying, we cannot, and two said, we can. And what I think is wild about it is only two people out of this whole group of people were willing to actually believe in God and believe in themselves enough to actually take the promise that God had already said he was going to give them. 
And in the beginning of, of Numbers 13, you look at that. It says the, that, the, that the Lord said the land that I am giving them. If you look in verse 2, it said the land that I am giving them. In other words, it was already a done deal. Like God has already settled it. They just had to go and get it. And what's wild about this is that, yes, there was battles to face. Yes, there was hard work because that's what faith involves. It's not just like I do nothing and God does everything in the sense of there's no physical work involved. And no, you, you know, it, it's, it's like, no, no, God had already given us this land. So we don't have to work in order to get that part of it. God will do the supernatural part. But we have to go in and kick the people out who are our temporary tenants. You know what I'm talking about? And what I think is crazy is that they just had to go get it. These two, Joshua and Caleb, had faith. They believed God. And they believed God contrary to popular opinion. And they believed God contrary to circumstances. I mean, they, you can look around, everyone else, and the whole assembly was weeping because they, because they believed the negative report. They believed the bad report, the evil report. One translation it literally says an evil report right there. They gave an evil report. That's wild what God defines as evil. God doesn't necessarily define evil the same way we would define evil. We would define evil probably by things like murder and, and rape and, and, and all just kind of wild evil things, right? But, and I think God still defines it like that. But when you look in scripture, he defined evil as not believing leaving the promise of God and declaring a bad report that's contrary to what God had already said. That was evil to God. And, and so, man, these two had faith. They believed God against popular opinion. They believed God against contrary circumstances. They could look with their regular eyes and see that this is not going to be uh, uh, possible unless God did something. And, and so they could see that. But that's what happens when you have faith, man. When you have faith, you can see things that not everyone else can see. And, and I praise God for people who had faith in me because a lot of other people around me did not see that I could be something in God's kingdom. But somebody looked and said they could see something that not everyone else can see. That's called faith. Are you with me on this? I, I'm glad for people of faith that are around us because they can look in my life and see past all the dirt and all the weaknesses and see something worth of value in there. See someone that Christ died for and someone that God put gifts in and that, this, that God can pull out. But you need faith in order to pull that kind of stuff out. It's, it's faith, man. And, it's so, and this is the thing about faith. It's hard for God to move in a place where there is no faith. I don't know that's wild to even say that. It's hard for God to do something. I know that sounds crazy, but scripturally, when Jesus went to his hometown, he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them in, in Mark 6. And it says in, in Mark 6, verse 6, it says, and he was amazed at their lack of faith. Notice that it said he could not. That, that means Jesus was limited in his actual ability. Is that wild to you or is that wild? Like God could not do something. Jesus could not do something. Would not is a matter of will, but could not is a matter of ability. And Jesus was limited in his ability to do something in people's lives because they did not believe in him. And, and I hate to draw this comparison because it's, it's a Santa Claus comparison, but just follow me on this. What I was saying earlier about the, you know, the Tim Allen movies, the, the Santa Claus, where at the end of the movie, nobody believed in Santa Claus so that his sleigh couldn't get off the ground. You know what I'm saying? You guys seen this movie? Okay, that's fine. Just look at me like you don't. <laughs> but the thing is, is that in this movie, the Santa Claus could not do anything for the people. He couldn't do what he was wanting to do. Are you with me on this? And he wanted to so bad. I know you're like, man, Santa Claus versus Jesus. Okay, I get that. Whatever. Follow me on the analogy. 
He couldn't do what he really wanted to do and bless the people. And I really believe that's the same way with the Lord Jesus. He went to his hometown and it says he could not do any miracles. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. Isn't that wild? But when God sees faith, he's amazed on the other side. And you can see that when the, the, there's, a, there's a woman, Syrophoenician woman, who had a, de- a demon-possessed daughter, and, and Jesus denies her a few times, and he just kind of ignores her cries for faith, and, and Jesus is so persistent. And he finally just says, your faith has, has made your daughter well. And from that instant, her daughter was well. Another time, a, a, a centurion, a Roman official, came to Jesus, and, and he says, you know, if, if you just say the word, my servant will be healed. And Jesus, and Jesus was so amazed at their faith. He said, I haven't even found faith like this in Israel, people. But whoa, he said, go, it's done for you at this very hour. Faith is a powerful force. And all I'm trying to say is that, like, man, when God sees faith, he, he, he's amazed and he moves. I, I really believe this. According to all these, these things that we're seeing here, man, we're... we're I mean, it's like what when God, when he does not see faith, it's hard for him to move. But when he sees faith, he's on the move. It just releases God to do things. And here's the deal. It's not a coincidence that God has placed a church right next to a college campus and surrounded it with dorms that hosts about 2,000 plus students. And what if, what if there is a group of people crazy enough to believe that they could take a campus for Christ? What if there was a group of people that were like the two spies instead of the ten that thought it was, they were crazy enough to believe in God and to believe in themselves and what God has done in their life enough? What if they were crazy enough to believe that they could take a campus where hundreds of students would put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Where, where faculty members would encounter God and they would believe where both students and faculty who are already born again would rise up and in the words of Jesus, let their light so shine before men that people around them would praise their father who's in heaven. Like, like where, what would happen, man? What would happen if there was a group of people who, contrary to popular opinion, contrary to circumstances, come on, I love what Inter, InterVarsity went through. They, they, they got kicked off campus and de-recognized as a group, but what did they, did they give up and say, oh, I guess we just can't do this anymore. I guess we can't reach students. No way, man. They just kept doing it anyway. <laughs> and lo and behold, they're recognized again. You know what I'm saying? Like, like but like, wh- where else? Like, is there more people? Is there a group of students? Is there a group of just people of faith that can look out and say, we can take this campus for Christ? What we've been spying in this land for a little while. And yeah, there's some giants there. there. There's some crazy stuff going on there. There's, if you want to use Christian terms, there's principalities and there's powers and there's rulers of darkness in the heavenly places and ah, all this kind of wild stuff. But we can certainly do this. And the Lord is with us. Their protection is gone, but God is with us. Are you with me on this? And the bigger problem with the people in the story that we just read was not that the, the, the problem was not the giants in the land, but it was the fear in their hearts. That was the problem. The, the giants were no problem for God. But how many understand that sometimes the problems aren't really the things that are outside of you. The problems are what's going on inside of your heart. The, the problems aren't necessarily your circumstances are really hard right now. The, the bigger problem than the problem is what you believe about the problem. And what's going on inside of your hearts regarding the problem 
And in the words of Jesus, after a problem that the disciples were facing, he looks at them and says, where is your faith? Faith, he says, is in your heart. Romans 10, it says that with the heart, one believes. So faith is going on inside of your heart. And he asks him, where's your faith? And the problem was not with the giants in the land, but with the fear in their heart. It was clouding their view of God's promise. And they had doubts not only in God, but in themselves. And this is what I think is wild. If you, if you go fast forward the story, you know, into, into the book of Joshua, where they're taking the land of Jericho. And another time they send spies into the land. And, and I shared this with you a few weeks ago about Rahab and the spies and this whole thing. But Rahab says this testimony, and she says that the testimony about Israel has gone out into the whole land and how God has fought for you guys when you, when you face the Egyptians. And it, it literally says this in Scripture, our hearts are melting with fear because of what the Lord has done for you guys. Here's the crazy catch. Israel doesn't even know what the enemies are thinking about them. And they think the giants will take them out, but the giants are so afraid of them. It, it's, like, it's like, you know, when you, when you run into a rattlesnake or you run into a wolf, they're actually more afraid than you, than you are afraid of them type of deal. You know what I'm saying? Unless you kick it and then it attacks you. But all I'm saying is like, do you know what I'm talking about? Sometimes, sometimes the things that we're afraid of are actually more afraid of us than we are of them. And we don't even realize it, so we just live at a standoff the whole time. And we never approach the destiny that God has for us because we're afraid. But we didn't know that the enemy was afraid of us too. So there's always this big gap between us and our destiny because of fear. Is that wild? And I, and I, and I think, like, are you, like, I go, man, God believed in them. Like, God believed that they could take this land. The enemy even believed that they would be taken out by them. But the only people who didn't believe they could actually do it was themselves. I think that's crazy. You can have the Lord of hosts come, an angel appear to you. The enemy is bragging about how you're going to take them out. But yet somehow you're the only one in the equation that doesn't believe that you could actually do what everyone else believes you can do. Come on, that's crazy. You know, that's crazy when, like, when the sons of Sceva come up to try to cast demons out of this guy. <laughs> and, and they're like, oh, yeah, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but I don't know you. Now, that, that sucks for the sons of Sceva because they got beat up and trashed and all that stuff. But here's what I think is crazy, is the demons even recognize who Paul was. That would be crazy for Paul then to be intimidated by people who are demon-possessed. Because even the demons knew who he was. Is that wild? All I'm trying to say is that God believes in you. The enemy even believes in you in a kind of weird way. <laughs> but do you believe in you? Because you can have every voice saying you are amazing and you can take the promised land. But the only one who can annul or, or uh, you like that kind of nerd alert right there, huh? Annul? Yeah. Can annul... The faith of God in your heart is, is yourself. And I think that's crazy, man. I, I, I later reread, though, that so that you see that the enemies were terrified and, and God believed them and all this stuff. But I, I want to I say that I'll take it as a promise from God that as the only church next door to Cal State San Marcos, that we were meant to reach the campus. I don't need a prophet to come in and tell us that. I'll just, I'll just look outside the door. And Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. Mm, we got a lot of neighbors. 
And Joshua and Caleb could see something that the other spies couldn't. Remember what said, faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see. Joshua and Caleb could see something that the other spies couldn't. They could see themselves taking the land. They could see themselves winning the victory. They could see it, and no one else could. And they had two people out of the whole people of Israel that could see it. Come on, man. I, I really believe that sometimes there's catalyst people that there's sometimes the weird person, there's sometimes the eccentric ones. But if we would just lean into what God's doing in their heart, it would be breakthrough for our own lives. Come on. And, the, and, it's, and it's sometimes the, the people that no one even noticed. It's, and it's just these two people. And, and, and man, I, and they could see the victory and, and no one else could see it. But okay, if you see it, I'll trust you. And that's the thing some, with, with, with leadership sometimes. We just have to lean into whatever. It's like, like okay, we're going to do this right now. You want to line people up and do that? Okay, we're going to do that. And all of a sudden, breakthrough happens. You see people experience Jesus. And in regards to the campus, man, I, I'm saying, like, they could see something that not everyone else can see. And in regards to the campus, I mean, do, do you just see a bunch of hopeless cases that are just getting worse and further away from God? Or do you see that the believers are just weak and helpless to change the campus? Or can you imagine people coming to Christ in your dorms? Like, can you see believers coming together on campus to worship and pray every week across all denominations? It's not like a, a one style. It's just like, hey, like I got this guitar. I learned like three chords. I was thinking we could just worship God out on the grass today. Let's see what happens. Like, can you see professors professing faith in Christ? Can you see discipleship happening during you hour? Because that's what faith does. It allows you to see things. Can you, can you see people getting touched supernaturally by the power and the love of Jesus on the campus? Can you see drinking parties change into encounter parties? Come on. Where like they're knocking on the door because there's stuff happening in there and all of a sudden the power of God just touches them and they just, they just encounter Jesus as they walk in the room. Like can you see students' hearts fully surrendered to the Lord Jesus? Can you see it on the campus? Because all it took for Israel was just at least two people to see it. At least two people to see it. And they could see what others couldn't. Faith in God grabs his attention. And I just wonder, like, what if God looks down from heaven and chooses to move on a small group of students because they see that they have faith to take a campus for Christ? And they're not sitting there going like, well, my professor just told everybody, if you believe in God, you're stupid. And man, I guess the class is hopeless. No, no, no. What if there was, what if there was someone who just stood up against that giant of unbelief and just said, no, actually, I believe in God. I can tell you about it if you like to hear. Like, what if there's people who would stand up in the middle of their classrooms? Contrary to popular opinion, contrary to circumstances, and say, no, no, no. I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and he can save you. Like, what if, what if there was a group of students who just were so passionate about believing God for a campus and taking the promised land? And I just wonder, man, God, like, can you find that in us, God? Jesus says in Luke 18, at the end of a parable, he says, will the Son of Man find faith on the earth? 
faith is, remember, simply just believing. Against all circumstances, believing God. Can we just take a moment and just say, God, I, I believe we can do this thing because you're with us. I believe you can do this. And I really believe, man, that, that God can do something in our hearts and put faith in us that we could go on the campus and see people's lives get forever changed for the gospel. That takes real faith, man. That takes faith when, you, faith when you've gotten denied a whole bunch of times. It takes faith when professors are saying contrary things. It takes faith. But why are we called believers? Because we believe in God, contrary to what everything else says. Come on, man. And when you look later on the story, Joshua ended up leading Israel into the promised land years later. And Caleb, these two guys... God was faithful. 45 years later, I want to just close with this. Joshua 14, verse 6. Now the men of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me? I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land, and I brought him back a report according to my convictions. You see that? Mm. According to my convictions. Verse 8. But my brothers who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt with fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. I'd like to have that testimony to say at the end of my life. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Verse 10, now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said, to the, said this to Moses, while Israel moved about in the desert. So here I am today, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I am just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Verse 12, now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified, but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. Verse 13, then Caleb blessed, or then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as it is inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, ever since because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. Come on with that. I'm hoping for a little less than 45 years. You know what I'm saying? If it takes that long, I still praise God. But we are people of faith. We are believers. And what I love about Caleb is that he's like, I had a promise from God 45 years ago. And I've been holding on to this thing. Now give me my land. <laughs> I'm as strong as I was then. I'm ready. I'm ready to take some fools out to get what God promised me. And I love that, man. That's people of faith right there. And we are a people of faith. We are believers. And the question is, what could God do with a group of people who believed him for the campus? A people who are ready to work hard, are ready to fight battles, but know it's so worth it because Jesus Christ will be made known on the campus that he's Lord of all. There's a lot of other things trying to contend for lordship on that campus. 
It's a lot of other idols, a lot of other lies, a lot of other junk that's trying to direct the course. But you know what I love about the gospel is that it's the establishment of truth in people's lives. And Jesus said, when you know truth, it sets people free. And so we release the gospel that Jesus is both Savior and he's both Lord. And see people submit to his lordship, they get, my God, that's, that's, that could be the next Jesus people movement, man. Who knows? It's up to God to decide how he wants to do it and when he wants to do it. But you know what our job is? Faith. I'd so rather not be in the group of people who had to die before the promise came. I'd so rather be the two people who believed God. No matter what obstacles we come up against, we look at the campus and say, give me that. Give me that campus for Christ. And so I'm going to pray, and then we're going to come back into our groups and, and do a little discussion. Father, thank you for this group of faith-filled believers. And Lord, the lesson we learned from Joshua and Caleb is to believe God and to believe you for the land that's all around us, that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, that we'd see many come to Christ. And not just through events, but through our lifestyles. And God, I thank you for a people of faith who would believe God regardless of circumstance, regardless of popular opinion. But God, we would take you at your word that you said that you so loved the world that you gave your only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So God, release faith on the campus. Faith comes from you, so we're asking not only to stir our hearts, but I'm asking you, Lord God, to stir hearts on the campus and to draw people to Jesus that they can put their faith in you as well and that we'd see a great move of God greater than anything that we could even pray for, greater than anything that we could even do in our own strength. We thank you for your anointing. We thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit. And we thank you for the gospel going forth and for many, many people being able to put their faith in the Lord Jesus. We want to take the campus for you, God. Stir our hearts for this. In Jesus' name. If you agree, say amen. amen. Come on. We'll turn to your groups. Uh, I want to...